and anyone else who would like to come and pray on Thanksgiving Eve. Interesting that many of us have done different traditions and services in the past, and we weren't this year, and so well, let's come and pray, even just for an hour. And I, and I really believe it would bless you. It'd be a, it's going to be a time of Thanksgiving, but also a time of putting on the armor of God for the work he's called us to in this city and for his city. So it's, it's more, and we give thanks that he is already at work in his city and thanks that he is going to do great things in this city. So if you can, would you join uh, me in that? Well, that night is also uh, already on our schedule was a chance to flip this building in decor to move from Thanksgiving to Christmas. So you come in on uh, that Thanksgiving Sunday, which is December 1st, because it's late, late this year, and it'll be transformed. And I thank you for the design team, the decor team, who does such an awesome job blessing us in those aesthetics. If you're looking for a way to get plugged in, that's an option. I think we'll have some soup going. And what, what time is it? Six to eight, so sometime in that window. Well, the prayer time is at six, so if you really want to double, you could just come to the prayer time down the street at Mountain Ridge for an hour, come up here for an hour. I'm guessing some of them will be here even beyond eight, uh, unless they have many hands to get that done. Uh, choose. One is not greater than the other. There's just events happening, so where you're stirred or can lean in in service or in prayer, those are good things. Uh, we Our Thanksgiving service will be that Sunday, and you are the sermon. For years, we did a Thanksgiving Eve or a Thanksgiving morning testimony time, and you are the sermon on that Sunday, the first of Thanksgiving. So I want to I want to put out a challenge, uh, like we did over the summertime. Over the summertime, we said we would try to break down walls by breaking bread with one another, our neighbors, our coworkers, our friends, who we might not otherwise share a meal with. And we and many of you responded to that and looked for just opportunities, whether it was at your dining room table, your kitchen table, your backyard fire table or patio table, or whether it was just at a restaurant after work, and we had testimony time of what God was doing, just to, no agenda, but to listen and to share life with others. So Thanksgiving is such an awesome time. I mean, the table is kind of central, isn't it, around Thanksgiving time? So maybe there's some in your spheres, your fields, we would say, that are, don't have a place. They don't have a place on Thanksgiving Day, and you have a table for them. And that's maybe some of your tradition, is to invite anyone who doesn't have a place. So praise, praise the Lord for that opportunity. Many of our, uh, those here and internationals that are here for work are looking for a, a traditional celebration at Thanksgiving time. Maybe you could provide that, or maybe it would be just sometime between now and Thanksgiving to create a space at a table, like we did over the summer. So that's just an uh, encouragement more than a challenge, but w- would we continue to break bread by, and, and share our tables with one another? Think about who comes to mind, a, a neighbor, a coworker, a friend who c- it could just use encouragement, someone that you haven't yet shared a meal with, you're just getting to know, or someone you know in your neighborhood that's just having a hard time and will probably be alone on Thanksgiving. Think about a way to bless them, and maybe on that Sunday you'll give a testimony of how probably God stirred your heart and moved you more than someone else, but just the ability to serve and to give. So I'm inviting you into that. So, so who we want to be as a greenhouse church, 
on mission in the fields and centered around tables. When we come to this gathering, this expression of the church, this table becomes central for us. It's a reminder of what Christ has done, his body broken and his blood shed for us. And while there's too many of us to gather around one table, this is the way that we do that. And so as the, at the end of the sermon today, as we respond with more singing, you're invited to this table. If you're moving toward Jesus and desire to follow him, the table is open to you. You are welcome to come and partake and as a reminder of what Christ has done for you. I'll say more uh, in a few moments, but that's the direction we're moving. The table is central, so what a time of year when we gather around tables. Let's be an expression of Christ in the places he has sent us. I'm going to invite Jenna to come and join me to give an update to highlight that next one that's on the list, the Christmas celebration coming up next month, but also to give a, a, an update on the children's ministry. We are still without wireless, so you are getting a cord, but I think it will work. Is that exciting? I get extra space there. So Jenna's been, Jenna's been in this role for two and a half months now only, or can you imagine? I don't know how you would say that. Doing an awesome job, loving Jesus, and loving our kids and pointing them to Jesus. So we're so excited that you're in this role. For those that have not met Jenna, this is Jenna Harris. She leads our kids' ministry or ministry to families with young children because we want to serve the whole families. So give us an update or highlight the event, or, or where do you want to start? All of the above. All of the above. Yes. Um, good morning. We have some exciting things happening in children's ministries, children and family ministries. Um, I actually spent last week writing a paper, um, which was super exciting, and I just it highlighted to me how important partnership with all of you are in this church and how every one of you is so important and vital to our role in um, bringing up our kids in Christ. And so I just want to take a moment to thank you for all of those who are participating. Um, we need more. So we're looking for about four more volunteers. We're going to open another class in January. That's our goal um, for third through fifth grade. So if you're interested and um, the Lord is just calling you and saying, hey, I could give one Sunday a month, even just for six months, if you want to try it out and see if it resonates with you and um, if it's something the Lord is calling you to do, that would be awesome. We're going to have a little uh, gathering after service. You're going to block the doors in the foyer. Don't leave. But she has cookies, I heard. Yes. So cookies. just to hear more, instead of say, having you sign up right now for yeah. the rest of your life in kids' right. ministry, because that's what everyone's scared of. You're signing on for Just come talk with years. Jenna and find out what the needs are. There's lots of ways to serve our kids. Um, yes, please do. Um, I can answer any questions, give you more information. Um, in January, we're going to be transitioning um, out of the current curriculum that we're using. So I'm reviewing curriculum for next year and um, just looking forward to starting that all with you. Uh, and then December 15th in the evening from about four to six o'clock, we're going to have a Christmas cookies, carols, and crafts. So if you're interested in coming and doing carols with us, we'll do a cookie exchange. So bring some, take some um, home with you and um, just a time to worship and carol together and spend time um, as a family in the body of Christ. In the, is there going to be a cookie contest? I know in the past we've had... I feel like people really like the cookie oh, okay. contest. Oh, Should we take a vote right now? Do you, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we want, if you want a cookie contest, uh, you, want to yeah. you want to compete right? in an unhealthy way. Yeah. 
Okay. So yes, so, yeah, we'll, we'll do like the it. contest and then the exchange so you can take your favorites home with you. And this is, I mean, it's family-focused, <laughs> centric, bring kids, but it's not just for no, no, people no, with kids. No, 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 not just for people with kids, for everybody. Everyone. We've yes. done that a number of years and just different ways of expressing and celebrating Christ together. Pretty laid back uh, time, four to six that night. There's no Seahawk game that night, so yes. it's... It's a, it'll be a good thing. Um, yeah. And we'll also invite Cristo del Rey to um, participate in that with us, too. Very cool. Yep. Thank you, Jenna. I really yeah. appreciate you. So find Jenna afterward, or she'll, or she'll find you if, you know, if you don't sneak out. That would be good. And thank you. I will say it takes such a team because we really we don't want volunteers to serve more than once a month. We know with schedules, sometimes if you're not here once or twice a month and you're serving once a month, then that takes you kind of out of this context for the sermon time, um, you know, more than we would like to see. So we need a big team to make that happen, and you do make that happen. But we also have vision to expand and to grow, and we expect God to be bringing us more families. By the way, we have it on good intelligence that we're going to have more babies coming to us in 2020. And so we are part of that expansion, and the need for those extra four helpers is not only to expand an extra class and reach and be able to serve the fifth graders also in our midst, but to open up the nursery as well for care and for options. So some of you say, I, I don't know how I would ever teach Sunday school to kids. That seems squirrely. Um, it's, like hurt, it's like herding cats. You know, just, you know, God, God love them. Or frogs, if you prefer, if you just, which would be better. Um, but babies, they stay where you put them down. <laughs> and so some of you are like, oh, just give me, give me a baby to cuddle with for 50 minutes and pray over. And, and you can hear the sermon right through the, the TV. And the, so some of you totally resonate with that. Others would say, I would not know what to do with a baby, but I, I can tackle these toddlers. Okay, so wherever your space is, you know, when Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. His disciples didn't have the mindset that he had. And then he went beyond that and said, actually, anyone who welcomes a child like this in my name welcomes me. The presence of God is there with you when you are welcoming that child. This is not babysitting. This is ministry. This is service. Not only to the presence of Jesus and to that child or those kids, but also to the families, too, to support them and, and create a safe place uh, for them to be able to engage while their kids are also being pointed to Jesus and His love. So this is ministry, and it's a great encouragement to you, even if it would be stretching, uh, just like some of us had a needle in our arm yesterday. We do things sometimes that are hard or difficult because we're giving life and we're showing love and serving others. Let me pray for our kids, our kids' ministry, our families, our marriages for all of us as we turn to Ephesians chapter 5 together this morning. Thank you, God. That's the, that's the season that we're in is of, of thanksgiving to you for who you are and what you've done, what you continue to do, what you've promised of what's yet to come. We give you thanks. We pray that all year round we would be people of thanksgiving in every circumstance at all times. But yet we thank you for a season that reminds us, that focuses us, a season that we reflect on your provision, even in a hard season. We know you are faithful and good. You love us deeply. Sometimes in those hard seasons is when we see you most clearly because it puts us on our knees. For those that are in seasons of abundance, and they will be reminded of that as they gather around tables this, in these next couple weeks, the abundance of provision. There is no lack. And yet the greatest lack that we have is more of you and your presence 
of your love and your light in our lives. So would you do that for us? Lord, we, we ask, we are open-handed to receive what you have for us. As we turn to your word, we pray that you would open our hearts and you would speak to us. You'd speak to each one of your sons and daughters here the word that you want them to hear as Catherine and I seek to faithfully communicate your word. We pray for our new shoots, these little ones, our young ones, not, not so little anymore as they're growing up in you in every way. We pray as they go uh, that they would see you more clearly, know you more deeply, and be able to love you more fully for all of their days. For your glory and their joy, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, kids, four through fourth grade are welcome to go. I'm going to soon have to be able to shift that to say four, four through fifth grade. That's going to be difficult, but we're looking forward to those expansions. So, Catherine, let's go. Should we? Are we ready? You have your Bible? So we're in Ephesians chapter 5, page 978, and then moving into 979, if you're following along in one of those black Bibles there in the rack. Otherwise, you can get there on your devices, I'm sure. Same passage we've been in, but should we read the whole thing? Yeah. So I'll start, you read some of the middle, and then let's close this together. So Ephesians 5, starting in verse 21, because this is a continuation, just ignore that heading Uh, that might be in your Bible, that might say something like wives and husbands. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body." Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This This mystery mystery is profound, profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Amen. Amen. Started moving the Bible around. That's why I had to grab it. I couldn't read it. You don't have this passage memorized? Not yet, no. But not... Not in the ESV. I got the next ones, not this one. So Paul says of marriage in verse 32, you heard it there, that it is a profound mystery. Last week we looked at that Greek word that's translated profound is actually mega. Marriage, the mega mystery. So can we play that card every time we say something not quite right or not quite the best way that it could be communicated? And, And you can just raise your hand and say... Mega mystery. Marriage is a mystery. Well, we're doing our best here. But the concept of mystery is not, is not some incomprehensible idea or uncrackable code. Although that's probably what some of you feel like about your marriages. But the idea of mystery is more like a secret. A secret that is yet to be revealed. A secret that is hidden. The analogy might be like mining for a diamond. 
if we knew that was the secret of a thriving marriage, would we put in the work for something that is beautiful and rightly precious? I'm also quite sure that many of you would love to see your marriages, for those that are married, thrive, grow, flourish. Some of you feel like that's almost an impossibility. I gave full permission last week that if your marriage is already the example of perfect marital bliss, then you could just go to brunch this morning. Mm -hmm. It looks like some of you took me up on that. (laughs) Others can sneak out as we look down at our notes. But no, I'm encouraged that many of you are here. And I am encouraged that we get to share in this together as we explore ministering together in this way, communicating uh, some difficult words. So I'm thankful that you're by my side. Why don't you take the next piece? Well, and you, you get to see us work this out, right, for the first, for the first time. We've, we've never done this kind of back and forth before. So um, I'm also encouraged for those of you that are here for many reasons. And later in Ephesians, it's going to talk about um, the sword of the Spirit, that we arm ourselves with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Um, and so as we're going through this passage that's totally taken out of context so we can dive into it right now, we want to remind everyone to... Keep it in context. Uh, For example, not in our notes, I'm going to keep going. Um, I asked uh, several people that I thought might have a different um, thought and interpretation of this passage than I do for resources over the last couple of weeks. And several people shared those with me. And I grew immensely in my own understanding, not even necessarily because there was new information, but because I got to see brothers and sisters in Christ who think differently than me who are saved and love Jesus, interpret this differently. So as Ben and I share our walk and story um, and how we interpret the scripture, I hope we keep that context in mind as well. Um, So for those that are not married and you're wondering what is in this for you today, um, I encourage you, because you you might not yet be married, you might be saying, you know, it's not in the Lord's plans for me. I'm I'm actually fairly certain of that, Catherine, and that's okay too. Um, Or I was married and I'm not, I'm married no longer for whatever reason. Um, I'd like to encourage you that as Ben and I explored this idea of submission, the Holy Spirit being filled with the Holy Spirit and submission being an outpouring of that, that that is actually about growing in deep relationships with one another, marriage being one of them. And so I encourage you as we piece this out, whether it is about marriage or about deep relationships with people that you would keep that in mind. But we are talking about marriage. Let's not skirt around that. Uh, The Bible begins with a marriage and it ends with a marriage, right? You've got the feast of the Lamb of God. So God designed marriage and he's quite fond of it. Hmm. And so are we. We are... 16 years in now, and I just starting really, yeah. I mean, for really just beginning and um, kind of getting in a groove. And now I say that, and it's all gonna okay. <laughs> we'll see after today, right? Right. Um, uh, so Jesus tells us in John chapter 15, This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that someone laid down his life for his friends. So that's, that's what we're doing today in, in Ephesians chapter 5. We're exploring that together. We were joking this week that if we really, like, if we do this right, if we nail this, um, we're just gonna kind of leave 
everyone a little offended. So we apologize ahead of time. That's the goal. Yeah. Well, the I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that it's the goal, but uh, I, I'd say that it's possible. And so we are, in all seriousness, asking you to pray for mm-hmm. us now yeah. while we communicate this to you. Um, Lord, may these be your words and not our words. And if we do misstep, as sometimes we do with one another, um, that the Holy Spirit would be able to communicate what He wants and not what we want. Um, so last week we attempted to lay that foundation for marriages in God's original design, that we were created a Mago day, which I love that idea that, um, that perhaps when God created man and created woman, he created just like a little sliver of himself. And then as those two come together, uh, they like a puzzle piece, I believe is what you said last time. I, uh, love to think of it cause I love music like, um, great harmonies and there you've got the melody which I could be super jealous of that the melody, I mean, you know, it's kind of easy sometimes. Um, uh, but actually that's not true because she goes super, super high, don't you, Holly? Really high with those melodies. But the harmony gets to come in and make a beautiful sound with that melody. And one is not greater than the other. They complement each other beautifully. Um, and I'd have to say that my harmony doesn't sound good at all unless the melody is, is present. So, so we thought we would sing together no. for you. <laughs> Uh, no, nope, nope, no. This morning we're going to consider more specifically Paul's words when he says, wives submit mm, and husbands love sacrificially. I'd like to point out that submission and death. Um, and that you can see why people have rejected these words, like, like literally cut it out of their Bibles mm. or um, on the other end, use it as a sword against others mm-hmm. and not a sword in the spirit. And that goes all the way back to the beginning, right? When enmity existed in relationship for the first time after Eve gave in to the temptation of the enemy. And part of the curse was God said, your husband will rule over you and your desires will be contrary to his. That's not in his design. And yet it is kind of what we've been seeing for thousands of years now. It bears itself out. And so the abuses, as I said last week, the abuses that have been committed against women by men, even in the name of godliness or biblical authority from passages like this one, are tragic, sinful, evil, inexcusable, and undeniable. Any person who would take a passage of Scripture and twist it to make a woman feel inferior or to make men look superior should be rebuked and their sin abhorred. That is not the message of Scripture. It is not God's design. So abuse is done in that name of biblical authority. They make it difficult for some, primarily women, to even engage a passage like this, as you mentioned, some even striking it through or cutting it out or ignoring it or trying to wipe out all of Paul's words or excuse these as as not Paul's and something else added in and looking for any kind of reason to get around it because of the history of abuse and pain in large part. These are difficult words, and we need to understand them rightly. That's what we're striving to do. And so I hope you won't dismiss or ignore or retaliate against, but you would engage. We read this quote last week from Tim Keller, and I again encourage, encourage you to read his book. If you haven't, The Meaning of Marriage, he and his wife co-wrote that book together, and so we're encouraged uh, by their heart and their perspective and their love for God's Word and their love for one another in a, in a marriage that honors and affirms one another. He said, if we don't know where to start in this conversation, we start here. 
Paul says, do for your spouse what God did for you in Christ, and the rest will follow. That's both of you, both husband and wife, looking to Jesus. This is the secret that the gospel of Jesus and marriage would explain one another, that when God invented marriage, he already had the saving work of Jesus in his mind. And we know all things find their fulfillment and full revelation in Jesus. All the promises of God find their yes in Jesus and amen. And so that's who we turn to, we must fix our eyes upon, we must never drift from as we approach any part of Scripture, especially the hard parts that challenge us. And I would contend, like I said last week, that the main issue here isn't that we misunderstand gender and sexuality and marriage, but that we don't understand authority and submission in the biblical context. And Jesus reveals both perfectly. He is our model. And so we consider Him and His love for us as we wade into a difficult topic, especially marriage. Kathy Keller, Tim's wife, said, I've seen the Bible verses used as weapons of both oppression and rebellion, but I've also seen the healing and flourishing that can happen in a marriage when hot-button words like headship and submission are actually understood correctly with Jesus as the model for both. And so, for example, the Greek word for submission here is hupotasso, hupo, under, tasso. Tasso is a word that was often used for deployment of military forces in order and rank, strategically. So, interesting. So, one, it makes us think of last week, if you were here, you remember we looked at the word ezer in Hebrew, which meant helper, was trans- translated helper in many translations into the English. The, the, the Lord made a ezer suitable fit, fit like a puzzle for the man. Well, that word ezer, not only was it most often used for God in the Scriptures, he is a helper, so it by no means is inferior whatsoever, but it's also used in the practical sense for reinforcements uh, in, in military forces, troops that come at kind of that, that final minute when the battle's about to be lost, they come for victory instead of death, life. And that's the word that God uses to choose to describe his creation of woman. Well, Paul is actually communicating something similar by choosing this word. So it could, could be translated, wives, deploy yourselves in support of your husbands. Wives, go to battle for your husbands. I like that. And so we need to rightly understand even the very words used as we dig deeper to try to uh, put this into its right context and also try to remove some of our own current context, lenses and biases that we can understand, God, what is your word saying? Because we always look to him and his word first with the culture and the world behind it. God, give us your truth that we can understand what is happening around us in our culture and our world. As soon as we flip that and start looking at what's happening around us in culture and our experiences, we've now obscured God's word and truth, and there's no way to come to it fully. We must seek his word, his voice, first and foremost. Further context, as Paul is writing, here's an, here's an example to illustrate how we've come to accept diverse roles and giftings as necessary and essential and complementary to one another. Ephesians 4, Jesus says, God, God say, uh, Paul says that Jesus gave gifts to the church. As he ascended to heaven, this is the beginning of Ephesians 4, he gave gifts to the church and he gave them apostles, prophets, evangelists, 
pastors or shepherds, and teachers, all for the unity of the church and the building up of the body. Each one of those gifts is unique. Jesus is the perfect model of each one. He's perfect in every way. But since no man or no woman is meant to be the one man or the one woman show and have all the gifts, we need one another. He's distributed gifts uniquely that the church would flourish and thrive one to another in unity, in community. And so we come to a passage like that, and it's maybe there is some work to be done because we've elevated certain of those gifts above others and dismissed and ignored some wrongly. They're all essential. One is not greater than the other. They're all needed for the health and flourishing of the body. I think we can get to that place where we receive that and it might take some work. Can we do the same when it comes to a passage that says men and women are uniquely gifted, wired, created to reflect his glory. Both are essential for the health of life and the flourishing of community. And if we can't, if we struggle to do that, I, I, I think it's primarily due to historical sin, both the curse from the beginning that has put oppression and segregation and degradation upon women from men for thousands of years. And so is it historical sin that makes us wrestle against God's incredible gift? And we would pray God's original design would be restored to marriages and his church. Catherine did an awesome job last week kind of shaping the, the, even the broader context that all of this is under the banner of love. I'm using Paul's words himself from 1 Corinthians 13, where he says, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Right? So he's saying I could speak perfect truth, but without love it cannot be appreciated or received. Then he goes on and he says, if I have a prophetic power and understanding of all the mysteries of the world and all knowledge, and if I have even all faith to proclaim it, even to remove mountains, any obstacle in its place, but I have not love, it is nothing, and I am nothing. So he says, if I could describe all the mysteries of God and even prove it with supernatural signs and wonders, but without love, it is meaningless. So in that context, we approach really all other teachings, that all things are under this banner of love. And Paul says here, as he concludes chapter 5, and even as he begins chapter 6, this is all a continuation of loving one another, serving one another, building up the unity of the body, specifically in, in chapter 5, this is where we've come through in our context he says, do not get drunk on wine, that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he lists these examples of here's what that looks like. As you are being filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit, you will, we sang this song earlier, you will sing to one another psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You'll make melody in your heart to the Lord. You will give thanks in all circumstances, at all times, in everything to God the Father, and you will submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. This is the context that he then says, wives to your own husbands. And so in verse 22, there's actually not a repetition, as Catherine pointed out last week, of the verb hypotasso, submit. It's simply a continuation. So cross out that heading in your Bible. Submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. Wives to your own husbands. He moves into marriage as a practical example of a way to extend and operate Selfless love and service 
and sacrifice. And is there any greater context for that to happen? Any more refining? Anything more challenging? He'll move on to parenting soon and even relationship between slaves and masters. So hang in there. It gets intense. But he begins with marriage as an example and an expression. So, Catherine, you better take this next part. I'd be happy to. Wives to your husbands. Yeah. Okay. Are you giving me permission? <laughs> that wasn't in the script. <laughs> okay, so, yeah, that was, um, that was actually my flesh coming out, right? Like, um, you know, I want to flex a little. Um, so I'm going to turn this way for a little bit, not out of disrespect, but because I want to speak to um, the congregation this morning. Um, Jesus, by whom and for whom all things were created, submitted. Um, He submitted to the will of the Father and came down as a young babe. Um, He did, was fully man in a manger. He was a servant. He, um, he, he submitted and he didn't have to, and he didn't lose authority or, um, when he did not lose authority when he humbled himself and became human. Uh, he was born of a teenage version, was humbly obedient and even to the point of death. We see in Philippians two, five, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Notice he became, in his own humility, it was his choice. That was a part, that's a part of the beautiful part of submission. He had authority and power that he chose to submit. That's important. It's my choice to submit to my husband. Um, the one who possessed the greatest authority and power in heaven and earth submitted as an act of worship, not under compulsion. In Matthew twenty twenty five, we see, but Jesus called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And if I can just pause for a second, Ben and I keep talking about how this passage has been used for abuse, and I think that part of the reason why I struggle with fully embracing and standing up here and saying, yes, yes, I believe these words are telling me to submit to my husband is out of fear that others will abuse it. So I am reluctant to say these things up here because I am afraid that someone else will abuse it. And I am not responsible for anyone but myself before the Lord. So Lord, as I deliver these words, may they be the right words to the right people. I am in a relationship where I can, in my own strength, submit, and I do. I do willingly. Um, Greatness, according to Jesus, is service and submission, not because I am weaker or not because you are weaker. It's not because you have less authority. Jesus certainly didn't have less authority. He certainly wasn't weak, 
but precisely because of the authority and power that we possess. Service is an act of worship. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't be an act of worship if I didn't have a choice in the matter. Mm. Um, You know, it's interesting. You mentioned the word hupotasso. I didn't go to Greek school like other people. Just read it quickly and confidently. Okay. Hupatasso. Uh, so that same word was actually found in Luke chapter 2 in some of the study that we did uh, uh, this last couple of weeks together. That was one that popped out for me. Um, uh, this is the story, you might remember the context, when Jesus was a young boy, and his parents all of a sudden are like, oh, where'd Jesus go? And they're like, uh-oh, we better go find him. And then they found him in the temple, and he was teaching with much authority. People were awed by how much authority he had And then in chapter 251, it says that he submitted Hupatasso to his parents and went with them. He had authority and yet still submitted. We have a good model in this particular word, submission. Um, So wives, we are invited to be like Jesus in this way. And I do keep using the word wives, even though earlier when we were starting, I said this is a good lesson for all of us. But I think it's important that we recognize going back to when Paul says, and wives to your own husbands, I am not making a declaration that the women in the room have to submit to the men according to this passage. Some of you heads popped up when I said that. That was super interesting. You see a lot when you're up here, don't you? Yeah. Don't tell them. No, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Just keep doing what you're doing. You're fine. You're fine. Um, but so wives, we're invited to participate in this. And this is really important. Not because our husband is godly or godlike. That is not why I submit I submit out of love to my husband, but not because he is God or godlike. Paul lists for being full of the Spirit, joy, thanksgiving, and submission. So I submit um, out of just an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And we had written in our notes, um, you had actually written, this, this example of like, well, how can you possibly honor your, honor your husband? I mean, he's such a jerk sometimes. Like, how can you? Um, and actually, his words, I don't think he recognized it at the time. When I was reading over them, um, it reminded me of one of the hardest seasons that we went through and one of the hardest times for me to submit. Ben shared with you uh, three weeks ago now about our journey in Appleton and um, how confession of sin then brought on a loss of of his job, um, and it was very public. His sin was very public. A part of the discipline process was him going in front of our church body of hundreds of people and reading a confession statement. Um, And I had a lot of believing women come to me, and they're like, how could... You must be in denial because you can't... Or you just... You forgave too quickly. Um, And I... I actually, it wasn't hard for me to forgive in that moment. I think that uh, the Holy Spirit was really just full of grace in that moment. I was able to forgive right away, honestly. The hard part for me for submission was um, submitting to you, submitting to the church was really difficult. And the non-believing friends in my life, they, they were questioning that submission. They were like, how could you, the church, like they're, they're hurting you, they're shaming you publicly there. And I was like, you know what? My husband 
believes that because we were called to this church, we need to walk through this whole process together. So I was submitting to him and he was submitting um, to the church. And, you know, 2020 hindsight, right or wrong, um, it led us here to this little church body that loves us. Um, and, and so God did great things mm-hmm. out of those acts of submission. Um, so another question that comes to mind. So why was it that the son was the one that submitted to the father and to the role of the servant, right? That could be a question that we have. And and a similar question, how come the wife is the one that's being called to submit to the husband? And the Bible doesn't reveal that, but it certainly wasn't because Jesus was less or inferior. His glory was actually increased, right? We see Again, going back to Philippians chapter 2. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Mm -hmm. So as we turn to look at Paul's words to husbands, by the way, he says more to husbands than he says to wives, just point that out. Could we say then that the husband's role is to elevate and exalt his wife far above himself? Is that pressing the analogy too far or is it spot on? So I look at Catherine, I esteem her, I elevate her. I exalt her. No, she's not perfect. I have no hesitation, though, to affirm in our marriage that she is the better leader. She's more gifted in that way. She loves people better than I do. She gathers them better than I do. She serves more selflessly. She's more wise, and she is more discerning. I hope that in some small part, I've helped to elevate those gifts and to help her in sanctification as she grows and to point her to Jesus as I've prayed for her and prayed for her, yet not enough, served and served her, yet not completely, and encouraged her all the more toward Jesus, though inconsistently. Easy to do. So Paul says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present her to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. What a call, an awesome call that we will all fall short of, but that we're called to love in that way, to esteem and to elevate. So Jesus is the model for husbands as he is for wives. This model of love, the expression of, of love that Paul uses for wives is submission, hypotasso. The expression of love that he uses here for men is sacrifice to the point of laying down life completely. But they're like facets on a diamond. They're really not mutually exclusive. They each reflect the essence of love and more brightly and beautifully together. So you say, is the husband not to submit then to his wife? Well, just because Paul doesn't use that word here doesn't mean that we're not called as husbands to a form of submission if Jesus is the model and the perfect example. But in fact, in this passage, he does say that. That's verse 21. 
Submit to one another. That's all of you. Now, the expression of that and the way that's done is unique. Women to women, men to men, men to women, and women to men. Did I get them all? I think so. Close. So there's a form of submission, though, as Jesus is the model for husbands as they love. That's all of us. John Stott puts it this way. He said, the wife's submission is but another aspect of love. What does it mean to submit? It is to give oneself up to somebody. What does it mean to love? It is to give oneself up to somebody. So they sh- we, are, we share in this call of love, expressing it uniquely in serving and sacrificing and submission. We might say it this way. The, the husband loves by putting the wife's needs above his own. The wife submits by putting his will above her own. And like two puzzle pieces that come together to reflect Christ more perfectly in his love and his submission. Tim Keller goes on to say, each partner is called to sacrifice for the other in far-reaching ways. Whether we are husband or wife, we are not to live for ourselves, but for the other. And that is the hardest, yet single most important function of being a husband or a wife in a marriage. Christ gave himself up for the church, not because they were worthy or deserving or because they were lovely, but to make them lovely. That's the picture of his love and sacrifice on the cross. He didn't stay because he felt like it. That is not at all what he was feeling. He did not stay because those he was dying for were worthy. But he stayed because of love. In decision, in act, his character, his very nature, empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's why he stayed. That's why he poured himself out. The object was God the Father, for his hope and his focus and his service, first, second to the people he had come to save and to serve. And so husbands, are you loving like that? Not because your wife is lovely or worthy or reciprocating. She may be, but even if she's not, or do you love by pouring yourself out? The other picture here of washing with water through the word, there's some various expressions, but what comes to mind for me is the night before the cross, the night before the crucifixion, when Jesus gathered around that table, didn't probably look like this one, probably closer to the ground, probably a full feast that he was sharing with his disciples, and he took bread, and he broke it, and he took the cup, and he shared it with them. You remember that story? Well, what happened right before, at the, actually the beginning of that meal? They were arguing about who was the greatest, and then they were arguing about who would have... There was no servant there to wash their dirty feet. And while they're arguing, Jesus slips up, puts a towel around his waist, and starts to wash the feet of his disciples in one of the greatest acts of love, humility, and service that it was ever done. Next, the cross would reveal that. But what it reveals to the relationship of love one to another, and certainly husbands to wives... Out of our authority, out of the authority we have, any, any amount that we have or have been given or even power, we serve, we give, we work toward healing, we work for cleansing. This is the way of the kingdom and the king. And so husbands, are we loving like this, pouring ourselves out to honor and serve and elevate and esteem our wives to... Make them lovely, not because they are. 
Well, remember, you're, you're not quite to the part now about the loving their wives as their own bodies, right? And so it, what comes to mind for me is that we are one flesh. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when one falls, when one sins, although I'm not responsible for his sin, he's not responsible for mine, we are one flesh, and it, it, it impacts both of us. It's, Paul says, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes. So anything that they do, they serve, they bless, they care, they do it, they do it to their own bodies as well as to their wives. And then the opposite would also be true, right? Anyone who harms or abuses or neglects his wife would also then be harming himself mm-hmm. and, and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Like as as a as the wife in our relationship, if I am harming, then um, it reminds me of our pre-marriage counseling with uh, Tom Osborne. Shout out to Tom um, uh, that he said to us. Well, you know, one of the biggest secrets of marriage is if you serve the other person, mm. um, then and you meet their needs, then they'll meet your needs. Your your needs will be met. That's what he said. If you serve the other person and meet their needs, your needs will be met. And what was your response to that? Oh, I just, I, I received it. I needed to hear that. But I assumed that if all of your needs were be met, then you would, you would be freed up to then meet my needs right. and serve me. <laughs> right. So that, you were sorely disappointed yeah, when. <laughs> it didn't happen. No. <laughs> it fell short of what he was trying to communicate. Well, and you would go through like these, because I was not an easy wife to be married to. Now I'm so, oh. right? Yes. <laughs> God may transform your marriage or he may transform you. Yeah. So, but you know, in the, in the beginning of our marriage, we had some really rough spots and you uh, told me later that you'd recalled what Tom had said. And so there would be like these spurts of just like incredible service from my husband. And I'd be like, wow, that's awesome. And that's it. Like I didn't actually meet any of your needs, but then what did you find? Years, I just needed to see years later. Years, how many? Don't don't say that. Give people hope here. <laughs> that our, we're ultimately fulfilled as we serve with Christ in mind, with His example, as we worship, because that's where our fulfillment comes. If it's reciprocated to to the joy and blessing then of that marriage and the thriving of that marriage, but that's not it's not dependent on that. So there's no list keeping. There's no there's no record being met here. Because I'll always fall short of the record of loving and serving and pouring myself out in response to what God has done for me. And you just become a part of that expression. Um, it reminds me of something in Tim Keller's book. They said, when Paul writes that the husband is head of his wife, whatever it means cannot negate the fact that he is also his wife's Christian brother and bondservant, according to Galatians 5.13. So if there are gender roles and authority and headship and submission, they are these. They find their source and their fulfillment in Jesus, period. There is one king over the kingdom, and it is no man, and it is no woman. We all bow before him and find our life in him. We should rightly abhor and condemn anyone who claims authority to oppress or suppress to build their own kingdom and not God's, in God's glory. Amen. What we, time check. We were going to wade into some gender roles. Can we do it quickly? Sure, let's try. Uh, uh, because the Bible doesn't speak too much to gender roles, less than we might think. And for those of you that know our, our life and the way we are doing this season of life, we don't fall into traditional, let's put some quotes around that, gender roles. The, the man goes off to work and the wife stays home to raise the kids or to care for the home. The man stops at the butcher on the way home, gets a slab of bacon and delivers it nicely wrapped. 
and, and now I, I'm not speaking against the ability to do that. I'm just saying it's not biblical. It's not all that historical, actually, either. For the majority of the last 2,000 years, if we're taking uh, kind of from the point that Paul wrote this, and that's about 2,000 years ago, most of the world, in fact, most of the world today, although that is changing with urbanization, but most of the world today and throughout history in a home has primarily worked together in an agricultural kind of society, uh, maybe in a manufacturing or production work of some kind. So industrialization has really been what has changed that as uh, labor, the labor force and the, uh, sometimes the, the strength that that w- w- required, although we could argue that the strength of women and it proved itself out and even in the history of our own country was just as, as valid and vital. But really, we're reaching back. We're thinking about traditional roles. We're reaching back more into the history of our country, decades, maybe a couple hundred years than we are necessarily into Scripture. And we need to be careful not to elevate what we would say is tradition to the level of Scripture. We elevate Scripture and what it teaches, uh, even though the words that we might point to, the, the Proverbs 31, the proverbial woman, as she had incredible thriving business, multiple talents, and ventures outside of the home. And that's like the, that was the a picture, a picture of a thriving woman in the context of, of a marriage. And so we need to be careful about how we see gender roles. We need to understand them. Right now, because of the flexibility of how I work, what my, kind of, what my work is and when I can work, I get to be home with the kids in the morning, get them up. Now they can mostly dress themselves, get them food, get their lunches packed, make sure we do final homework, get them to school. Why school starts at 9.20, I don't know. Uh, many days I pick them up from school. Catherine is out the door at 5.30 most mornings, so I'm up with her to make her breakfast, to make her lunch, to kiss her goodbye and send her out. Do you see the reversal of some traditional roles here? I get to then go sit by the fireplace, get my cup of coffee, crack the Bible, and have two to two and a half hours now. Praise God, our kids sleep most nights and sleep in before I need to get up and care for them. I get to do these things. I get to volunteer in my kids' classrooms almost on a weekly basis. I I try to take most Mondays off. That becomes like my Sabbath. It's still a work day for Catherine and a school day for kids. And so I'm at home on my Sabbath because it's a different kind of work than I do the rest of the week. I'm doing laundry. I'm working around the house. I'm cleaning. This, This is how I support and join in Catherine's call to see education reformed to esteem her, to elevate her. Uh, Wednesdays, because now that we have two kids, it's hard to do all laundry on one day. So Wednesdays become kid laundry day. It's my, my home study day. So in between studying, I'm getting the kids laundry done and put away. I take dominion over that laundry. Yeah, you own it. Yeah, you do. I own it. You own it. This is just an example. This isn't be like Ben and Catherine. No. Others can stand up here and say, we have sought the Lord and His leading and His call, and we're doing marriage and life and family together. Lord, lead us. And this may shift and change anytime, at any point. Or we're always constantly seeking His leading. So as we wade into that, and we'll have to cut some things out just to give an example, a picture of what I, we believe is biblical and is following Jesus in loving, serving, and submitting one to another, elevating and esteeming and sacrificially pouring ourselves out, while the roles at home or in our community may look different than an, another family or certainly a traditional family, if we're using that term. Mm-hmm. Um, so Ben earlier kindly 
rightly esteemed me. And so now it's my, my turn. It kind of feels like wedding vows, actually. So I say, look at Ben. I esteem him, honor him, and exalt him. He is not perfect, but I have no hesitation affirming that in our marriage, he's the more gifted in laundry. No. <laughs> no, I'm teasing. Um, that he is exceedingly better at play, especially when uh, with our children. Uh, you think more rationally than I do, while also having greater faith. You know and love the word. You memorize it seemingly effortlessly. Um, and what I appreciate the most is how you bring order out of chaos, whether that be a gardenscape or my own thoughts. You help bring order out of chaos. Um, I hope that in some small part I've helped to elevate him in these giftings to help him grow in his sanctification as I have listened and loved on him. Not enough, but served, however imperfectly, encouraged, and helped point you to Jesus, though perhaps inconsistently. So I thank you for that. Um, we don't claim, as Ben said, to have an idyllic marriage. Um, we get to just show you our best selves right now. Let's be honest. As we, if this, if this isn't our best moment of the week with all that's been put into this in front of all these people, yeah, so I know. don't keep us on a platform here. No, please. We're, we're getting off it in a couple and, minutes. Yeah, in fact, um, one of the things that we have to do on occasion is be like, I am not the enemy. No, you're not. Right. Okay. And then we, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's not always easy. And we, we got that from some good counsel uh, from a mentor of mine years ago. So uh, by no means, I, it's not about modeling even after us um, at all. It's modeling after Jesus. Mm -hmm. And we were just hopefully showing an expression of that. Yep. And um, it needs to be said that just like the example earlier, when I was not responding to Ben's uh, pursuit of me in a godly way. Um, we are responsible for ourselves, and I am heartbroken. We were praying this morning for uh, for men and women in relationships where it does not feel like it is reciprocated, that you try and try and serve and serve, and it is out of love of Jesus, and there is not a reciprocation. And I have only prayers of encouragement for you. Uh, not advice. Um, if you are in a relationship where you need support, um, I, we have uh, counselors here, resources here as a part of our church body. I encourage you to reach out to Ben or to I, and we will connect you with those, with those counselors. I encourage you that if you are frustrated in your marriage or in any relationship that if you are conscious of how much you speak out loud versus how much you are praying and bringing it before the Lord, that that can be a helpful tool as well. Mm. Um, again, we offer those in less than marriages support here. And I think it's time to pray. Did you want to say... You want that final quote? No. Do Did you want, you want okay. to do it? No. Well, well, I think... I can do it. Yeah. Okay, I'll do it. Um, final quote. The only person you can control is yourself. To be more biblical in your marriage does not actually require assent from your spouse. Since both the headship role of a husband and the submission role of a wife are servant roles, one can always begin to serve without waiting for permission. And that can be our call mm -hmm. to all of our relationships with Christ focused. Okay, so we're not tying a tight bow on this, but let's pray. 
and the Holy Spirit can do that work. We're going to come to the table, as I mentioned earlier, as a response, as part of, as part of our response. It's a response of worship. We're going to sing. Uh, if there's work to be done in your own heart, use this time for that. Uh, kind of solidify that next step. If God's asking you to do something, it might be a hard step of conversation. It might be a hard step of service, uh, one to another. And just be faithful. Continue to pursue Him and seek Him. And we worship Jesus. He is the perfect model in all of, in all of our relationships and all of our life. So we look to Him. Again, come to the table whenever you're ready. If you would like, there's elements there in the back on those back two tables. Uh, you can come receive communion uh, with friends. You can come on your own. Even if you're coming on your own, you're with family. I hope you know that. And we are breaking bread together, being reminded of what Christ has done. At that same table that He washed those feet, he said, this is my body broken for you, and this is my blood shed for you. There's no way they understood the full picture of that. So even if you're here today and say, I don't, I don't really understand what this meal is, if you are desiring to come toward Jesus, to move toward Him, and to know Him more fully, then it's for you. Come in prayer. Come with submission of your, your life to Him, and He'll take the rest. If you don't feel like you can do that, we do it every Sunday. There'll be a moment where you have a chance to do that. If you could do someone to pray with you or for you, uh, you can tap me. You can come sit in the front. Someone from our prayer team will come and pray with you, or you can do that after the service if that feels like a more appropriate time. Come find us. So let's pray. Let's pray. You want to lead out and pray for wives and women? And Okay, you got it. Dear Heavenly Father, we, as a congregation, we just bow our heads before you, and we ask, Lord, for your filling of the Holy Spirit, and that, Lord, as a result of that, we might be able to submit to one another as Christ submits. Lord, may it be for your glory. And Father, I I pray for all of the women in the room who uh, I pray and lift up for any women in the room who have been oppressed Mm. or marginalized, Father. And I ask, Lord, that you would um, esteem and redeem, that, Lord, you would heal, you would encourage, Lord, that we would lift our eyes to you, for you are the author and the perfecter of our faith, no man or woman. Lord, help us to know what it is to truly be the daughter of a king. Hmm. Yes, Lord. Lord, I thank you. I pray for these men, all the men here, especially husbands. I pray for your Holy Spirit to empower that we would honor, love, cherish, and serve the women in our lives, especially husbands to wives. We'd elevate and esteem them. We thank you that you are our perfect model of love and of sacrifice, what you have done for us, not because we were lovely or deserving, but because of your incredible love. Help us to serve. Help us to receive that love and extend that to others. And so, Lord, forgive us where we have fallen so far short, where we have tried to rule rather than serve. Help us, Lord, to grow up into every, in every way into you, our true head, into Christ. Father, I lift up my brothers before you. I Mm. ask, Father, that you would continue to lead, to guide, to love, that they might know you more deeply, imitate you more soundly, Mm. and love one another more deeply as well. Lord, I pray for my sisters, these women, and especially wives, that you already love them deeply more than any one of us ever can. You've created them uniquely in your image. We thank you for them. They make our lives full and rich and beautiful. 
Forgive us where we have not esteemed them and elevated them or empowered their service. We need one another. We need your help to complement one another. I pray that these wives would have your Holy Spirit's strength and power to love their husbands, to serve them, to go to battle for them when they're unworthy and undeserving. May they have their eyes fixed on you and bring you glory, and would you pour out your joy upon them, Lord. And in all of this, we pray in your holy name. Amen. Amen.